Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Plotris. Yay! So we're really excited today to be talking about Mr. Impossible, of course, the book that brought us together. Yeah, so I'm Lane. I'm Meg. And we are two friends who love reading romance novels, and we are bringing you this podcast today so we can finally start talking about them. Yeah, it's very exciting. All right, so when... As we told you guys in the uh, introductory episode, Mr. Impossible is the book Meg lent to me that led us to realize that we had this in common. So I'm going to let uh, Meg sort of talk about why it's her favorite and why it's the one she decides to recommend to okay. people. So Mr. Impossible is one of my favorites. Um, it's First of all, the writing is just really good. So the writing in this book is great. The author does a really good job. Loretta just, Chase, by the way. Yeah, thank you. So, so Loretta, Loretta Chase. My, my buddy Loretta <laughs> does a does a really good job just the writing is just great um, it's very funny uh, I also feel like the writing is of its time you she I think she does a really good job of not writing like anachronistically yes uh, and yet at the same time the dialogue like doesn't falter it's not one of those weird things like methinks my lady blah 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 it's nothing like that it's, it's great mm -hmm. uh, and then as usual in the books that I recommend, the heroine, so the, the female hero, uh, is intelligent, uh, she's smart, she doesn't, she really doesn't need anyone, like she's totally fine on her own. Uh, and in this case, the male hero is, is unique in that he has really no angst at all, which I personally love. Like he has no dark past, he has nothing that he needs to overcome. This is not a story where she is teaching him how to love again. Um, this is not a story where he had some horrible thing happen and his brother died when he was 10 and then he had to take over the estate and has all these responsibilities. No, nothing like that. The hero is... A fourth son who's never yeah. really had any burden placed on him by mm -hmm. society or his family. He's um, sent to Egypt by his father to work for the consulate, but the uh, Yeah, basically just get him out of the way. Pretty much. Um, yeah, he's known as being like the, the Hellion son, so he, he all he does in society is like get in fights and... Yeah, I really just get in fights, I think, is all Well, and it's does. also interesting because he talks pretty nonchalantly about frequenting prostitutes in Paris, and yeah. I think a lot of times romance novels attempt to... Um, explain the more insidious elements of society, but they never want their hero engaging in them. So, yeah. you know, at most, a romantic hero might have a mistress. But the yeah. fact is, like, Rupert was a normal, well-to-do aristocrat yeah. prior to getting to Egypt. Yeah. He wasn't better than his peers. Yeah, and, and I do think he's unique in that he is simple. Yeah. And when I say simple, I don't mean stupid. Oh, not at all. But I mean, he's just not complicated. Mm -hmm. He doesn't overthink things. Uh, he probably doesn't think things are enough, but I really enjoy that he's different. He's a different hero than than those that you'll read, even in uh, other works of, of Loretta Chase. Well, and in this case, Daphne, the heroine, is uh, a widow. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, a the other angst that's really prevalent in these types of stories is either in it brought on by inexperience or youth, somebody staying unsullied, treating a lady properly. She is neither an aristocrat 
nor and she's a widow so mm -hmm. the combination of those two things means there's really no angst in terms of them getting together yeah. either and she is not a virgin widow fyi i don't know how many books i've read where there's somehow she's still virginal this is not the case here they were married for five years yes um from the ages of she was 19 to 24 yeah and i guess she's been widowed now for five years so both of the the main characters in this book are 29 mm -hmm. which is also nice because it means you don't have you're not in an 18 year old's head yeah witnessing an 18 year old's follies yeah so yeah which is definitely nice yeah um so what we're going to try to do when we talk about new books is give you guys a little bit of synopsis of you know what we feel about it We'll do a little bit of reading from the book jacket, and then every episode we'll use a random number generator um, to generate a, a number of words that we have to keep sort of a quick and to the point summary under. So um, I use, this week we ended up with 39. So I think I hit exactly 39, and Meg managed to be much more succinct. So um, I'll read the book first. So the back is impossible. Rupert Carsington, fourth son of the Earl of Hargate, is his aristocratic family's favorite disaster. He is irresistibly handsome, shockingly masculine, and irretrievably reckless. And wherever he goes, trouble follows. Still, Rupert's never met an entanglement, emotional or otherwise, he couldn't escape. Until now. Dun-dun-dun. Outrageous. Now he's in Egypt, stranded in the depths of Cairo's most infamous prison, and his only way out is to accept a beautiful widow's dangerous proposal. Scholar Daphne Pembroke wants him to rescue her brother, who's been kidnapped by a rival seeking a fabled treasure. Their partnership is strictly business. She'll provide the brains, he the brawn. Simple enough, in theory. Inevitable. Blame it on the sun or the blazing desert heat. But as tensions flare and inhibitions melt, the most disciplined of women and the most reckless of men are about to clash in the most impossibly irresistible way. Yeah. I mean, uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think it, like, described it or not? Not really. Yeah. That was my feeling, too. I think, I'm sure, when was this published? Because this one came out in 2005. Um, and it's, we should say it's the fourth in the no, it's the second. Second in a series. Yeah. Okay. So it's the second in a series. So in theory, somebody picking this up probably read the first one. I mean, maybe. maybe. I, I don't know. I don't even know why I picked it up. I'm going to be completely honest. I think this was the first or second Loretta Chase I ever read. Um, I, maybe just the name, Mr. Impossible. I mean, that's kind of great. It's a mm. great name. It Let's is. Let's be honest. Awesome name. Awesome title. Agreed. Um, awesome cover. Yeah, yes, the cover is great. FYI, it shows him, um, it shows almost the full body, but his the top of his head is cut off, so you make no eye contact. And of course, he's not wearing a cravat, so it's like open a little bit. So and you see billowing. Some, yes, yes, billowing, and you see the hollow of his throat. Yeah. Which, as we know, is very sexy in um, Regency romances for some reason. I think it's how covered up they yeah. have to be all the time. Any impression of skin was yeah. scandalous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's appealing, but I feel like the back, it makes it seem, and maybe it's the way I read it, like, tongue-in-cheek in a way I don't feel like the book is. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think that it focuses too much on Rupert. That's a good point. You know, because the back is all about him, about how he's impossible, he's outrageous, and in nothing really about Daphne. And she's uh, she is the driving force of the book. Rupert mm -hmm. really goes, al he goes along 
with what she wants to do. Right. She is the um, active character right. and he's reactive. Right. And he's very supportive. Like he's like, yes, I will help you do, I will help you rescue your brother. Um, and I think she, well, that's part of, it's part of why it's so great is that she falls in love with him because he's the only person who's ever really supported her. Right. You know? And, well, and, and I, think I think it's nice. Really seen her. Yeah. And I think that's a running thread through these books that's always really appealed to me is the idea of um, being entirely known yeah. in a romance. And yeah. I think a lot of times you'll see these instant connections between two people that kind of cut through the bullshit. Yeah. In a way I really appreciate. Yeah. And this is definitely a case of that. Yeah. And it's, I, I do like too that she doesn't, it's not, it is not an immediate, he immediately falls in lust with her, mm -hmm. but she does not immediately fall in anything with him. She thinks he's just this stupid person that the embassy has and pushed And she's aware of him physically. Sure. And she's not dismissive of his looks, but she is so in her own situation, mm -hmm. worrying about her brother and trying to figure out how to resolve this situation on her own, that his charms are not on her radar. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Okay, so. Okay, so 39 words. My 39 word summary is, widowed lady genius meets cute with an angst-free fourth son of the aristocracy who can't leave damsels in distress. It's the mummy with more sexy times. If you're into tomb sex with donkey voyeurs, this book is for you. This, this is all true. This all <laughs> happened. I went a little more literary. Um, I, I was an English major in college. I do love like actual, I don't want, I, I don't want to say this is not literature, but I also love like classic literature and mm -hmm. things like that. So for me, this is, if, if you love Middlemarch, you will love this book because Dorothea Brooke falls for a lovable ox of a young man after Sabin dies, or in other words, his total opposite. So you will very much enjoy this book. I think one of the things I want to talk about in this book, and I think it'll come up a lot for us, is the concept of the good boy who does bad things. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we've actually talked about this quite a bit in that, um, so Lane thinks that there, there are two archetypes of the hero. There's the good boy who does bad things, and there's the bad man who will do good things for you. Right. So, so, like, you're the reason that he. It's sort of what are you good. more interested in, the redemptive arc or the arc where you make him rethink who he is and what he does mm. in a more positive way? Yeah. Or, I guess, in a more negative way, in that you break the good boy down. Yeah. And I think both of us are more interested in watching good men unleash the most anger they've ever experienced yeah. or the most cunning they've ever experienced on your behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're still good and they're yeah. still they're gonna still everything they do is still in line with their sense of honor I mean that's a big thing in these books too, right so. um, okay so uh, really briefly we'll talk to, well let's just talk about the the book quality in general so like I think we've already started talking about it that just in general it's well written mm -hmm. um, the characters are I would say unique I, I would say specifically Rupert is more unique I think we've seen the blue stocking, the, you know, the, the smart widow before, but I think Rupert in this case is more unique. I would agree. So Daphne is a, as we mentioned, widowed in her late twenties. Um, she's in Egypt with her brother who is a, um, archeological linguist by trade, but this is in the first chapter, so it's not really a spoiler. The real genius and the real linguist is Daphne. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she's there with her brother in her widow's weeds, 
partially as a disguise so that she can continue doing her work. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, as we've mentioned, he's sort of the troublemaker son there, theoretically working for the consulate. Yeah. Um, and so I agree with that, that she, I, I can think of a lot of smart entrepreneurial women sort of oppressed by the times. Right. And I think him and his, as you mentioned, simplicity is the more unique character. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things I like is that she does turn it a little bit on its head, the idea. So you, we all know a lot of these books are sort of a Cinderella story where the woman is less privileged than the man. Mm -hmm. And in this case, like, yes, he is fourth son of an earl, so he's the honorable Mr. Carsington, but she is the one who has all the money. Right. And that's both because she inherited a great deal mm -hmm. upon the death of her husband and because she's continued working as a linguist and getting financial compensation. Right. Um, but but he's the one who's at a social disadvantage. So, yeah, she's mm -hmm. very, she's respectable, rich. She knows the mores of where they are as well. She's the Egyptian expert. He's really just around to, to be a supportive ox. Yes, you know? as he says quite frequently. Yes. So one of the other things that I, I often notice when I read the books, it, the books, when I read books in general, uh, are different literary tropes or different uh, words that authors use. And I would say that Loretta Chase, in the beginning I said she writes not anachronistically, so I think she does a great job of presenting this novel sort of written the way it might have been written, you know, back, back then. Uh, she uses the word erupt, so we're not talking about E-R-U-P-T, E-R-U-P-T, but I-R-R-U-P-T. So like uh, eruption, an eruption with an E comes out of something, whereas an eruption with an I explodes inwards. So she'll talk about people erupting into corridors or um, a fight erupting into a casino and things like that. And that does happen somewhere in this book, that she does something erupts somewhere. I'm sure it's on the Dahabiya, there's some kind of fight that erupts in the the galley and the hold or something. Um, okay, so I think that's that's our first category for review is basically like the, the literary convention. Yeah, I think she's got, as Meg mentioned, strong and unique characters, overall really high quality writing both in terms of you're not going to be distracted by weird word choices, but also her she's not overly flowery. Mm -hmm. Like clearly romance novels has a, have a lot of descriptions of feeling and of scenery and this certainly does, but I never feel like it's gone on too long. Yeah, I agree. And I, we'll get into some of our other books in the future, but even in like the Dressmaker series where there's a lot of time spent on fabric, I didn't like skim through the whole page because I was bored mm -hmm. of the descriptions. I think she does a good job of, of providing you with the context you need without ever letting it be monotonous. Yeah. So what are the romantic, the romance novel tropes? Uh, I would say there's there there are a couple. So there's the one where they're in two close quarters. So they're in the Dahabiya, which is if you don't know, um, is a the Egyptian version of a yacht basically. So it's a small boat on the Nile, and they're you know going south on the Nile. So they're they're you know going up upstream on the Nile, and they're on this small boat just thrown together all the time. Oh no, they have to be in close quarters all the time. Right, so it's so similar to a yacht, they live on the boat as well. Yeah. So yes. that's, they're not just there all day, they're there all day and all night. And yeah, with and how do you get away from the oppressive heat? Well, you go on the, the front of the boat and enjoy the breeze, but who's there? Oh no, it's Rupert. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also think her character is a little bit of a romance trope. 
Yeah. Like the wealthy widow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then um, the first time they have sex, the first time they do the deed, it is because they uh, they have to sleep alone in a... It is a tomb, but it's... it's there are a thousand tropes in here, though, because it's yeah, yeah. not just the, like, confined to sharing a bed. Yeah. It's also... A moment of danger sparks the moment of passion. Right. It's like, like after the after a sandstorm, and you know they they have to. It's life affirming afterwards, and yeah, it's very. Not only is it there's only one room at the inn, even yeah. though it's not an inn. Yeah. There's two separate emergencies that bring about yes. their fit of passion. Oh yes, indeed. But it I, it so which which leads us to our next criterion, which is sexiness. Yes. I would say it is is pretty sexy. I think when you talk about sexiness as being driven by the characters and yeah. their chemistry, this ranks very highly. I agree. If you like witting, reading witty dialogue between characters, Loretta Chase is great at that. You really feel like they're compatible. You're rooting for them. And she does a good job of building up tension through these books. Like, you don't doubt they want each other, and it's mm -hmm. just sort of a matter of when. So when the match lights, it's absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. I, I also like... I, I do like it. I like it. It's really good. I would say there are probably, what, like three sexy, sexy-ish scenes. Yeah, one of the, the only criticism Meg ever has of this book mm -hmm. is how much of the time the characters spend apart. Yes, yeah, so that would be my biggest criticism is they are separated by circumstance towards the end of the book. So it's like the fi of the final three or four chapters, they only spend like one together. And I... I, especially at the end of a book, you don't want to separate the protagonist. And I only bring that up here because, you know, it's probably two-thirds of the way into the book uh -huh. when they finally have sex, and then they spend the last three chapters not together. Right. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of good content, but it is squeezed into a pretty small yeah. segment of the book. Yes. Um, I really enjoy her descriptions of him. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because, as Meg was saying, she's the driver in this plot, mm -hmm. no question. Like Daphne's mission is at the center of the book. A lot of the scenes about the mystery they're solving and, and the work they're doing together are from her perspective. And I think a lot of their first encounter is from his. Yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's really interesting because the closest thing to a manufactured conflict this book has is her being convinced she's not desirable yeah. because she was married to an old man. Who well, look, if you read Middlemarge and you know Dorothea mm -hmm. and Kasabin, you understand what's going on. If you didn't, go read Middlemarge because it's great. Um, I have not read Middlemarge. I know. I'm talking to Lane right now. <laughs> no, it, it is it's really good. But, but, but yes, her self-confidence has been broken down by this previous relationship. Right. So I think his sort of, it, as we were saying, he's sort of an ox, but his incredulity that she doesn't understand she's desirable yeah. is really conveyed in their yeah. scenes together in a way that doesn't come off as, like, cloying. Yeah. Which I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay, and our third criterion is offensiveness. So was there anything in this book that you thought was, like, offensive? I think the closest you could come to saying it was offensive is sort of the villainization slash dismissal of the native peoples mm -hmm. in any book set in sort of the other, like mm -hmm. outside of Europe for these books. Um, like I said, I'm a sucker for archeology span in Egypt and it's one of my big tropes, but the erasure of Egyptians <laughs> in the novel is maybe the closest you could come. Yeah, I, I do think she tries to address it a little bit. A little. There are some parts at the end where they, um, for well, the big baddie 
you know, says something about how, oh, these, they're terrible, they're like Tomb Raiders. And she's like, well, what do you think that you're doing? You know, like, this is, we're doing the same as I think that they are. They're right. just making a living. So I, I think she tries to address it. But I mean, yeah, any book set in, what, the 1820s right. in Egypt. About the About the British aristocracy, yeah. Right. Is not going to be like, Super I wouldn't say it's offensive. Yeah. Just if you're someone who's sensitive to it, the absence is probably noteworthy. Like it's yeah. nothing it handled. At least I wasn't offended by the way anything was handled. Mm -hmm. It's more the absence of yeah. things. Yes. But I other agree. than that, not really. She's really independent. I yeah. mean, almost, but not quite to the line of being anachronistically feminist. But um, at the same time, you know, she's she's incognito. You know, she is the great scholar, but she cannot come out as the great scholar because of sexism right um, and she's very conscious of that and she yeah. thinks about her, what her role in society would be if she were a man or if men were not dismissive of women's intelligence mm -hmm. and that's a conscious thought so in terms of romance novels i actually think it wins a lot of points on the feminism yeah. front at least in terms of her own self-identity yeah well and part of the reason she falls in love with rupert is that he does respect her as a being with agency mm -hmm. you know she tells him i want to learn how to shoot and she sees him look at her and and she, she thinks, oh, well, he's going to say, you're a woman, you don't know how to shoot. And he said, okay, let's go learn, you know. So just an example. Yeah, and I think that scene is the one that you said in a different book you might find somewhat problematic, but it's handled really well here. Yeah, so this is a scene where he sort I, I don't know if I want to, like, go too, too spoilery, you know, but there he does use the, this um, this situation so he engineers the situation so that he is able to um, get close to her in a way that could be seen as offensive um, if she wasn't so clearly consenting right. within the text right so I think it it doesn't veer into creepy for me and as we mentioned I'm particularly sensitive yeah. to it but um, it could be in the hands of a less yeah. deft author well and honestly like when I think about it I sometimes I I was trying to think, well, what could offend me? And I thought, well, should I be offended by this? Because I would not. I was not either. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, anything, any last words? I, I want to talk about their teasing a little bit. Okay. So just if you're into romantic relationships where he sees her so well, he knows how to push her buttons and makes fun of her. And an early example is he like intentionally mispronounces the word papyrus mm -hmm. just to see her get mad. I know some people find that annoying. I don't. Clearly, I'm very into it. But just something to note if those sorts of like teasing as a form of courtship isn't your thing. You might not like this. Yeah, I mean, I guess not. But uh, he also... So he is very simple, yes, but he also has a reason for doing that. Yeah, no, he does, and, and it's very intentional on his part. He knows the word. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he knows that it's annoying her, and he knows he has a reason to do it. Right, he's not annoying her just to see her get mad. He's doing it to distract her as well. Right, and not, it's also not presented as a little boy crush, like, no, you know, I, I'm teasing her because I like her. Like, that is not... What's going what's on going here on. at all, yeah. right? So just something to note. I don't think it was a problem, but yeah. it's a trope that I know some yes. people are annoyed by. Yes. But overall, I think we both highly recommend. Highly this recommended. One. Love this book. Uh, like it's it's so well written that I have recommended to people who don't like romance novels. Uh, none of them have actually read it because they saw the the cover and were like, yeah, no, I'm gonna skip it. 
but I, I have actually recommended it to non-romance readers. Agreed. So highly recommend. Go check it out. And if you want to let us know what you think, you can direct message us through our mm -hmm. Instagram. Um, we're on Spotify currently and um, Anchor at the moment, but we'll be on iTunes and Google Play shortly. If you're listening to this on those devices, clearly you're ahead of us. Yeah. Um, go ahead and follow us at Plotris on Instagram or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Yeah. And subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Bye.